It's the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact on a mission to help you maximize your use of marketing automation and CRM. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Now, today's show, this is going to be a great one. Get your notebooks ready. Get your pens. Get your Evernote apps out. Be prepared to listen to this multiple times. We're going we're gonna to have the takeaways for you. And the guest today... Boy, boy, oh boy, do we have a surprise for you. She is passionate about behavioral science and marketing and how those two combine. And if you remember any of these last shows, I love geeking out on science, especially when we can apply it to marketing. Neuromarketing Business Association. She even has a blog post I was geeking out on earlier called Discover the Two Best Secrets to Writing Brain Craving Content. And talk about a great headline, but brain craving content. That's what we're here to talk about today. She's also the chief creative officer of Nancy Harhut and Associates. And guess what? That's her name. Nancy Harhut, welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, I, ho I hope I did you justice with that introduction. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> sure, sure. Now, I want to remind people about why we're here today, the theme. We're transitioning out of content, but really it's the idea of talking through that maturity model we were mentioning earlier where before you go off and blast things or go write some content, you got to know what you're think, who you're writing for, understanding your buyer, and then setting up the right tracking so you can can track the results of it but getting into content now and then eventually transitioning into social as a theme we're really here to get some strategies some takeaways but there's a lot of bad strategy there's a lot of bullshit strategy out there so i want to just pass you the mic at the start and say are there some strategies that just annoy the heck out of you that you want to set the record straight right away some myths that we want to smash in the face so actually, yeah, there are a few things that really drive me crazy. Yes. Um, so one of them is what I call the terrible twos. So what are the terrible twos? Too much information in an email, too many calls to action, right? So you don't know oh, what to God. do, right? You, you know, they want you to download the white paper. They want you to schedule an appointment. They want <laughs> you to watch the video. They want you to follow them on social. And, you know, you're asking you know, everyone to do everything and what's going to happen is, you know, no one's going to do anything, right? There's yeah. just too much. You need to focus. Tell people the one thing you want them to do, uh, you know, but they're, you know, the, everyone just, or not everyone, but so many marketers just cram everything in. And then so much information, paragraph upon paragraph upon paragraph of copy, you know, the, the lead, if you will, is buried in the third or fourth paragraph. People just aren't going to take the time to, to find it, to, to read, you know. I came across one study they said, if you're emailing to a prospect, anything more than 50 words in a paragraph and you start to lose response. If you're mailing, emailing to a customer, 100%. it goes up to 100. But still, you know, you've got to be economical. And certainly some, some marketers follow that, but others just abuse it. They go on and on and on. And you're like, come on. Seriously, terrible twos. Too many actions. And you know, we started listing that, that list of call to actions in an email. It sounded like the honeydew list at home. Hey, do this, do this, do this. And there might be a reason why it's hard to get to all. The, there's so much to do. Get someone a simple action, right? Give them a single call to action. Maybe a second for choose your own adventure, but none of this crazy zoo. Of, it's like sending someone to your homepage. Here you go. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure marketers probably have their, you know, the best interest of their customers and prospects to heart. They figure, well, you know, this way people can choose what they want. And, you know, we're not going to dictate that, you know, if they want this, they can do this. If they want this, they can do this. You know, I'm sure that it comes from a good intention. But the problem is, you know, with human nature, with with too many choices, we get um, analysis paralysis and we just end up making no choices. It just doesn't happen. You know, one or as you say, a second one, that's fine. Uh, you know, certainly prioritize them so you know people know the the dominant one. But there's also a second option that works. But when you know when there's all these competing ones, people don't know what to do, and, and as a result, they don't do anything. <laughs> so true. And you know what? A lot of people listening to this have marketing automation, and that was one of the problems we found with that too. There's so many things to do. You need a roadmap, or you need some sort of structure to say, do this for do this, do this, do this. So just like you've experienced it, if you're a marketer with too many things to do. Don't let your buyers experience, don't force them to experience what you're experiencing with all those to-dos you have on your plate. You're absolutely right. Terrible you're, you're twos. Absolutely right. Smash. Terrible twos, yes. Smash. And then the other thing that drives me crazy is so-so copy. And when I say so-so mm. copy, I mean that it's written at so high a level with so many buzzwords, you have no idea what the actual value proposition is. You know, I mean, you can have this, uh, you know, we're a direct mail solution provider that will optimize your communications. Okay, so are you going to print my direct mail? Are you going (laughs) to create my direct mail? Are you going to send my direct mail? Like what, you know, what are you doing? And I I think that, uh, you know, people try to roll up to a higher level benefit, but in the, in the course, and there's nothing wrong with that, but in the course of doing it, they lose the connection to what it is they actually do. And again, you know, same thing with too much copy. People aren't going to stick around and fight to try to figure it out. We as communicators have to be clear. We've got to be concise and succinct. No, that includes some of the no, this is jargon, right? The dynamic, uh, full, full service solutioning. Um, what? Yeah, like that all we'll, the different. Like, if we break the paradigm those, and we're going to Yeah, paradigm shift. Paradigm and, shift and, uh, you know, the, the well, multi-channel, that's legitimate, I suppose. But yeah, it, you know, just so many of them. I, I think, you know, it, it starts to just kind of wash over us because we've heard it so often and or we've read it so often that it's like it, it doesn't mean anything. And, uh, you know, whatever the buzzword of the day is, let's get that in there. You know, maybe we're going to pivot. Now, that was a, a big one for a while, yeah. you know. Uh, um, you, we just, it, it's fine to want to be current, but when you just do nothing but buzzword stuff, you know, you lose the ability to communicate clearly and, and accurately. Now, were they doing that because it worked? initially calling pivot, did that ever work? Or was it just like the blind leading the blind? Hey, pivot, 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 pivot. Everyone's saying it, so let's say it. But you it's know, not actually effective. I mean, I I'm, I'm sure the first person who used it, you know, used it effectively, you would have to think, right? It's like, okay, I get that. <laughs> oh. But whenever one, you know, jumped on the, then I think it's like you just start to jump on the bandwagon and you want to feel like, you know, you're not the one who's left behind. You know, you have what they have. You're current too. And, yeah. um, and then, you know, sometimes I think it happens without thinking. We're, we're just so used to using it that it slips into our vocabulary. And as we're creating our communications, we're, you know, we're, trying to get stuff out and we're not really concentrating on the way we're doing it or the individual words we're choosing. And, and almost without thinking, maybe we, you know, just drop into some of these, these buzzwords or these hackneyed phrases. So do you have to keep it at a second grade level then? Or, you know, I, in my head, the idea was customer centric, you know, maybe you're focused on the customer 
or customer success, but easily that word can get kind of built up on an ivory tower, customer centricity, or, you know, it's like, is it, it's a good concept, but you're taking it too far or it's just the the, the language or the, the vocabulary you're using? So I think it's it's the latter. I think it's the language because, you know, customer centric, focus on the customer, you know, the customer before the company. Those are all, you know, those are great principles. And I think in marketing, you know, we have to uh, focus on our customers and, and um, you know, on, on their needs versus, you know, ours. We need to prioritize their needs. Yeah. So there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being customer centric. I think the problem is when everybody says they're customer centric, <laughs> you start to, you know, you fade into the, the background, yeah. you know, what, you know, how do you differentiate? Oh, we're customer centric. How do you, oh, we're customer centric. You know, it's like when you go in for an interview, why do you, you know, why would you be good for the job? I'm a people person, <laughs> you know, right. it's like, all right. Uh, you know, I think we just need to sometimes find new ways to say what it is that we want to say because when we we jam in you know um so many buzzwords or, or you know and you know so much jargon uh we, we try to roll things up to this you know really really high level we don't really differentiate ourselves right right and, and you're losing your audience you're, you're not being authentic you're you're being yes. flashy and showy when maybe Speaking in first person, being honest, and then telling them how you feel about how you want to help them is how you're going to land that job or close that sale as opposed to being, you know, that, that super flashy. You know, no one wants to buy from the, the, the crazy car salesman. You know, that guy could have a sweater on and be really friendly and not pushy, not, not, not as pushy. <laughs> and he might sell more cars than that guy with like the crazy shirt. Like, hey, come on over here. You know, we don't want to buy from that guy. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think authenticity is huge, particularly now with uh, with some of the younger, younger generations coming up. They put a, a premium on that. And just last night, actually, I was researching um, for this presentation that I'm doing, and I came across this interesting um, statistic about, and I, I don't remember the number, but the high percentage of um, people in, in B2B buying roles who really want to avoid the salespeople because their, their big fear is salespeople are just going to come on too hard and too strong and jam stuff, you know, down their throats, things that they don't want. They're not really going to focus on, uh, you know, what the, what the person is saying that they need or, or you know, what, what, what they're, you know, what they're expressing. They, all they right. want to do is sell, sell, sell. And as a result, you know, more and more people are, um, you know, going online and doing all the research themselves and making their, their decisions and their shortlist, you know, as we know, uh, you know, way before a salesperson comes on board. But I think it's, it's for that reason. You know, was there a number associated with that or just a l- larger and larger percent of people are, are B2B buyers are just, I mean, we, we know they're doing more research, but that's interesting. That's one of the, could be one of the causes is that they've had, and I, I've had that experience. There's certain organizations where they've got, quote, really good salespeople and, so good that you, yeah, I bought that thing last quarter. I don't know. They had a special and I, I don't know. I'm not even sure why I did, you know, and, and, you know, that kind of story can happen. And, you know, especially if it's a, some SaaS offering and now you're stuck with it, you know, right. <laughs> you're stuck with it and you've got buyer's remorse too. You, you know, you're like, why did I buy it? And, yeah. you know, and then, and then you're like, now I've got to, you know, justify it. Right. right. And if it's, you know, if it's not everything it said it was going to be, I've got a problem, you know, sure. my credibility is, is damaged and, you know, people are angry at me and I'm spending extra hours trying to fix things, you know, so there can be a whole host of problems. And I think that, you know, the, that's, that's a large reason why people try to take things in their own hands and say, I'm going to figure this out myself, right. really narrow it down. And, you know, and 
then when I'm ready and I've got my questions and I've got my, my list figured out, I'll go and I'll talk to the one or two or three or four people that I've, uh, I've designated, but it shuts a lot of people out. And, um, and that's too bad, you know, although if you're on the B2B side and you're feeling like, oh, you know, I'm going to get shut out because of that, you know, there are ways that you can uh, try to make your content bubble to the top. And we can talk about that you know, a little bit later on in the podcast, sure. but I think that'll be valuable too. You know, this is perfect. Yeah. We'll, it, we'll definitely make a note to talk about that. Cause everyone's like, yeah, please do that. Um, <laughs> So kind of rounding out on the myths, I, there's a lot of this stuff and it, it just really feels like the, a lot of the theme is just using these hacks and using these like tricks um, for your own benefit or, you know, or misusing them even. Yes, that's, that is probably the, the, the third of the things that bugs the heck out of me and yeah. that's abusing the, you know, what I would call the best practices. There are certain things that are proven to work. We know that they work right. and, um, and that's great. And we should use them. And then, you know, some marketers kind of take them and twist them and, um, you know, kind of abuse them, I guess, you know, use them without respecting the, the customer or the prospect. You know, well, one example is um, the word invitation. Mm. That's been proven to get a, um, a high opening rate if you happen to have it in your subject line. So that's great. And that's good to know. And you can invite people to a lot of things. You can invite them sure. to listen to a podcast. You can yeah. invite them to watch a webinar. You can invite them to a, a VIP sale. Uh, you can invite them to preview, um, you know, the, the, the new product or service that's coming out there. Any, any number of those things. You know, but the, the other day I got an invitation to change insurance and I'm like, that's not an invitation. That's a sales pitch. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you're not, you know, and, and you see the word invitation and you're, you know, your expectations are raised and yeah. then it's like, what? To buy car insurance? What kind of invitation is that? You know, and it's, I, I call it abusing the, you know, the best practices or I, you know, I, I got an email the other day. In fact, I, I keep repeatedly get it. And the sender line is something like, um, account resolution department. So you see that and you think, oh, you know, is there a problem with my, uh, with my account, with, you know, my sure. my payments, what, you know, is my shipment delayed? Like what, you know, what's going on? And you open it and you find out you're not even a customer. So they're, they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to resolve your account and turn you from a prospect to a customer, yes. you know, and like, come on. It's just, uh, it, it abuses uh, the system. It disrespects the, the prospect or the customer. And that, that drives me crazy. You know, it's like you're either uh, a snake oil salesperson or you're selling something legit, but don't, don't like dabble, you know, either, either you're scamming someone or you're not. So, um, you know, to your point that, that I got a letter like that too, from the internet registry. It's one of those internet registry companies. If you have a, if you have a domain name, you know, for everyone listening, if you have one out there and it's registered to you, that information typically is somewhere unless you get privacy, which is extra. Um, and so it's out there. And so this company will email you or actually actually mail you snail mail, a letter saying your, your domain is expiring in a month. Here's the thing you need to fill out to renew it. Well, renew it with this other company <laughs> that, that isn't even, no, you're fine. You probably have auto renew on your domain, but this other company is like, Oh, Hey, fill this thing out real quick. Or I guess, you know, the, the letters that say uh, tax information or timely, urgent, sensitive information. It's those kind of things that, you know, you tricked me once, fine, but yeah, I'm not going to let, you know, noted. <laughs> now, you're, now you're on the sketchy list and I'm not going to be listening to all the rest of the things you have to say. It, that, it's so true. And, and the, you know, the truth is, you know, if you see something that says urgent, you are going to pay attention to it because, you know, right. you think, oh my gosh, I have to pay attention to it. And so in the right hands, 
that's good. You know, if there really is some yes. need for you to pay attention right now because you're going to miss something or you're going to fall behind or, you know, uh, something's about to expire, you want to know that. Um, but again, it comes down to, you know, using them respect, respectfully and appropriately and abusing them. You know, and when they're abused, you're absolutely right. Fool me once, but not again, you know, and you just walk away with a bad taste and the desire to never do business with, with that company again. Absolutely. There's another one that I, I get a lot from overseas vendors trying to sell me Salesforce stuff. Um, somehow I'm on some list with that and they'll do the email. They'll spam me and then they'll send a secondary spam follow-up saying, did you get my first spam? And it's like, <laughs> guys, I reported your first one for spam. I'm going to report this one for spam too, but, and I see right through it. Maybe it's because I'm doing the email and we're marketers and whatnot, but people that don't say, Oh, oh I missed your email. It's, and that could be okay. If to your point, if it's for good, not evil. Right. So I, I think this ties into the, you know, one of the other things I want to chat with you about, which is, you know, if marketers have a noble purpose, if we have the right reason behind us, then, then do everything you can possibly do to get people to engage and read because you're genuinely trying to help them. And this may be something that solves one of the problems they have, some of the stress they have at work, whatever the case may be, something their company, you know, GDPR is coming out in Europe and it's going to blow up a bunch of companies and they're going to get multi-million dollar fines. So you need to know this information, you know, let me get this to you. Great. But if you're just trying to get someone to your point, inviting them to change their business, you know, and, and there's no value behind it. Then now, now you're you're on the other side of the tracks. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the GDPR uh, is a good example. I mean, you could see you know some urgency in that because there's a deadline, and if if you're you know talking to a uh, properly targeted list. So you know that, you know, this is a company that does business overseas, that they're emailing. Um, this is important to them. And so there's a certain amount of urgency. Uh, if, if the urgency, on the other hand, is I have a sales quota to make and, and I want to make sure that I get your business before the end of the month, that's not, you know, that's not an urgent matter at all. So, right. um, but, but you're absolutely right. I think if, we're, um, if we have a good product and it's well-targeted and we have our customer and prospects best interest at heart, there's nothing wrong with doing the best that we can to engage them because people are unbelievably busy. Um, they, they kind of cruise along through, through much of life on autopilot because we have to, you know, we're trying to conserve mental energy. So uh, a lot of our decisions are just, you know, we, we default to them. They're hardwired behaviors. We, uh, we default to them with little or no thought. And, uh, and so as marketers, we need, to, we need to deal with that in order to break through. But we want to break through with a properly targeted message. And, and that, I think, is the difference. Absolutely. I don't know if you've seen the book, uh, Selling with Noble, Noble Purpose. It's one of my favorites, uh, Lisa McLeod. And she did a whole study with a bunch of pharmaceutical sales reps. And without having data to see what their actual results were, she hung out with a bunch of them, did sales calls with them, listened to calls, all looked at emails, everything, hundreds of them. Um, I think it was hundreds. Yeah, I think it was hundreds. Um, so looked at all these different people. And then at the end, she made predictions based on who she thought were the top ones. Oh, and she cool. absolutely nailed it. And the primary differentiator um, wasn't the medical experience. It wasn't this. It was actually that person really wanted to help people. They really wanted to see cures in the hands of the right people, people that had some kind of medical problem to have this thing to turn their life around. That They, they genuinely wanted that to happen. 
doctors. That's why they went into it in the first place. It wasn't to have loans and, <laughs> and make lots of money. It was like, I want to help people. So they were aligned with their buyer. They really wanted to help them. And they, they, they shined above all, which is, which is a really cool thing to see. But that just ties into you know, passion and but purpose. You know? And so I think that same lesson applies to marketing. Right? If your marketing has that noble purpose in mind and you're looking at your buyers and you, you love your buyers and you really want to help them, yeah. I mean, then you, you'll do tricky things for the right reason. You know, you'll, you'll try to get those engagement rates up for the right reason. And people, and, and when you do that, when you, when you quote trick someone into getting, you know, opening the email, but you actually deliver value, it's not even a trick. You're like, thank you, you know? Exactly. I think that's the, you know, that's the thing. Um, you know, you can, you can trick somebody or you can, you can increase the likelihood that they'll engage when they should, you know, and I think tricking them is on the sleazy side of things and increasing the, uh, you know, the, uh, the likelihood they'll engage when they should um, is on the the more noble end of things. You know, it's, it's literally helping people because again, they're, you know, they're asked to make so many decisions from, you know, what to open, what to read, who to trust, when to buy, all of that, that, um, you know, there's just too many decisions coming at us and we make split second decisions. And so there are certain things that will help us as marketers make sure that that split second decision goes our way and not the other way. I think using those are absolutely um, appropriate and even necessary in in today's environment. Absolutely. And right now people are, they're going crazy because they're like, this morality lesson you guys have been chatting about, but this is important because we're about to open the Jedi mind trick war chest here. (laughs) And we're about to get into behavioral science. So I think it's important that we started out by first saying, don't be an idiot and do these stupid things. But then also talking about the fact that you need to be using these for good, not evil. The point of this is to be a good marketer. You're not over there in some other country spamming people left and right. You, you didn't become a marketer for the wrong reason. So that being said, let's get into science. Um, it, and I know this is a passion of yours. I know there's like all different types of behavioral theory. How do you even just, you know, how do you approach it in, in general before we get into the specifics? So, um, so basically, um, scientific studies, uh, social scientists, behavioral economists, they've looked into how people make decisions. They, and they yeah. have found that up to 95% of decision-making happens subconsciously. And as I said earlier, we kind of, you know, we cruise along through life on autopilot. What's happening is in order to conserve mental energy, uh, we've developed decision-making shortcuts because mm. we couldn't possibly weigh every bit of information before making a decision or we just wouldn't get around to them. I mean, if we, if we studied, for example, every subject line and really thought about it, should I open this? Should I not? You know, we just, it would, it would take forever. You know, we just wouldn't, we wouldn't get around to it. So um, over the millennia, humans have developed these decision-making shortcuts and now they're like hardwired, uh, you know, into us. They're like hardwired behaviors. When we cruise along on autopilot, we see a, what a researcher would call a stimulus and we just default to these hardwired behaviors, giving them little, if any thought. And the cool thing for us though, as marketers is if we're aware of them, we can, we can trigger them. And mm. it's, uh, you know, I'm not a sports, uh, sports fan really, Casey, but, uh, I liken it to if, if you were a pitcher and you knew that the person who just came up at bat was likely to bunt, you would probably adjust your pitch based on that sure. knowledge, you know? So if we know that uh, given stimulus X, somebody's more likely to do Y and we want them to do Y, let's serve up stimulus X. Yeah. And, and that's what we do. So uh, so that's that's kind of my interest in behavioral science. And what I try to do is is pluck from behavioral science the 
applicable principles that blend really nicely with marketing best practices. And what it does is it delivers a really nice one-two punch, and it does increase the likelihood that, that people will do what we want them to do. There's no silver bullet. You're not going to be able to make people do something they don't want to do. And as we said earlier, um, you know, you really shouldn't be misusing these, but, right. um, but you know, they're good to have in your, in your arsenal because at the end of the day, you have a good product and a well-targeted list and you, you want to help people connect, you know, you want to help right. them make those decisions and, and, um, and get to the information that they're looking for. Cool. Cool. Okay. I'm all limbered up, stretching it out. I'm ready to talk principles. So do you have a favorite principle or one that you, you see the most or use the most? Ah, uh, gosh, I don't have a favorite. I have, I have a lot of, uh, you know, it's like, it's like they're your children and I'm, I'm asking you to call one of them out. Yeah. It's hard. What's yeah. A, what's yeah. a good first one to sort of introduce people to the concepts? So yeah, cause I have, I have a number of go-tos and, and the, the yeah. truth of the matter is you, you know, you choose which one to use based on what your, you know, your situation is, okay. you know, what the marketing challenges and what you're trying to do and what the likely barriers to purchase are. And, you know, you think about the, the product and the market and, and, uh, all of that, and then you pull the, the right ones. But, um, but one of the ones that I think is really interesting is, um, this notion of the reason why and social scientists have found that people are more likely to do what you ask them to do if you give them a reason why. And it turns out it doesn't even have to be this like bulletproof, you know, ironclad reason. It just has to be some kind of a reason. There was a researcher or the, 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 I'm sure she's still uh, is alive. Is this the reason why I'm doing it or the reason why you should do what I'm asking you to do? It's the reason why you should do what I'm going to ask you to do. Interesting. Right? So, because sometimes in marketing, we think like, all right, we've put the sales proposition in front of them. We've shown them this great product with all these fabulous features and here's yeah. the price. And, you know, and, well, it's pretty obvious. You should buy, right? You know, yeah. but, but just closing the loop and saying, you know, why they should buy. And, and it doesn't have to be, you should buy this because there's not another product out there in, on the market like it. And if you can say that, that's great. But that isn't always something we're allowed to say or able to say because there's so many, you know, competitive products. But even if you said, you know, you should buy this because it's going to help your business. It's, the idea is, is providing that reason why. And the word because was actually identified as what's known as a compliance trigger. There's a Harvard University professor named Ellen Langer, and she ran this study um, where she identified the word because as a compliance trigger. When we see it or hear it, we just automatically start to nod like little bobbleheads, and we agree nice. without fully processing what comes next. And so what she did is there were these people lined up to use a photocopier, and she sent someone to the head of the line, and, and that person said, excuse me, can I cut in front of you? So 60% of the time, the person was allowed to cut in front, right? Just, excuse me, can I cut in front of you? 60% of the time, they, they could cut. So Dr. Oh. Langer repeated the experiment a second time. But this, per, this time, when the person went to the head of the line, they said, excuse me, can I cut in front of you? Because I'm in a hurry and I have some copies to make. Well, the number climbed from 60% to 94%. No way. It's not even you know, a good reason. <laughs> it's not even a good reason, you know, but, you know, but maybe we think, well, you know, they, they were in a hurry, right? Right. So Langer repeats it a third and final time. And this time the person goes to the head of line and says, excuse me, can I cut in front of you because I have some copies to make? And the 94 <laughs> only dropped to 93. So think about it. Everybody standing in that line was standing in that line because they had some copies to make, right? You don't stand right. in line at the photocopier to get a coffee. But what was happening is when people heard because, they didn't even process what came next. They just, oh, yeah, okay, we're so taught or so uh, you know, accustomed to it being a good, legitimate reason yeah. that when we hear it, we're like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. You know, Can I cut in front of you because I have copies to make? Oh, of course you should. You've got copies to make. Wait a minute. So do I. <laughs> but we don't really process it. It's just So because is a wonderful little compliance trigger and um, – so, you know, if you're, if you're serving up your, your, your product, your service, your value proposition, you know, you might want to just close the loop and explain 
why somebody should take advantage of it. You know, because this is a really good product, because this can really help you, uh, because lots of people have found this to be beneficial. Uh, you know, whatever it is, have that reason why, because it's going to be that little extra nudge or prompt or trigger that's going to increase the likelihood that people will respond the way you want them to. Interesting. I, in, in, would you recommend using the word because in your copy then as well? I would, yes, yeah. yes. Whether it's uh, in the you know the, the lead sentence or it could be the headline, it could be the subject line of an email, uh, it could be someplace in the body copy. But I, I definitely would recommend using it. You know, maybe it's in the in the uh, lead up to the call to action. But uh, but provide that reason why, because when people see because, it just like oh, must be must be a good reason. You know, I, I wonder. You know, at a copy machine, sometimes we like to avoid conflict with other people. It sounds like compliance. I wonder if you're in the the safety of your own desk, you know, in your cube or your office, and and you, if it's a little bit not not as powerful because you're not under the gun, you have a human looking at you, you know, saying something. I wonder if when you're live and you can see them, it's most strong, and then in the middle would be something effective on the phone, and maybe least to be an email. Have have you seen that to be the case, or is it just the the, the principle is the principle? Well, my, uh, I, I believe that the principle is the principle because when you think about it, the, you know, the first person who came up just said, can I cut in front of you with no, they, there was no because, and there, there was a 60% yes, you can, right? So it's, it's face-to-face, it's people are looking at you, and then when it switched to can I cut in front of you because I'm in a hurry, you know, went from 60 to 94, the only difference was that because I'm in a hurry and I've got copies to make, and then when we dropped the because I'm in a hurry and just went to because I've got copies to make, it only fell from 94 to 93. So. Um, so I, I believe we're just, it's such a hardwired um, response that we have that whether we're face-to-face or listening to somebody on the phone or, or reading something, uh, because when we read, we actually hear the words in our head, which is kind of cool. Sure. Like that's, that's how it works, you know? So True. we're still hearing that, that word because, and I think it just triggers that automatic default. Now, you know, it, it's, you, you raise a good point. Face-to-face, sometimes it's even harder to say no to somebody. In fact, right. I think human beings are hardwired to want to please, to want to get along, to yes. want to say yes. Um, I think it's it's what helped us survive as a species, right? You know, Probably, we had to yeah. we had to get along. <laughs> the people that so, said no, they're on the outskirts, getting eaten by a gorilla. Yeah, yeah. you know, and we we all had to cooperate and get along. So there is there is a, a kind of a hardwired need in us to you know to 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 get along. You know, so we like yeah. to say yes when we can. So face to face, maybe it's even more effective. But um, but the study would indicate that regardless, it's that word that we see or, or hear when we're reading it um, that uh, that just kind of gets us to go, right, you know, we just kind of skip over the rest of it because we just assume it's going to be a good reason. Interesting. because And if you can make that reason a good reason, all the better, but all the better, um, all the better in general, but based on this principle, the reason it was, it's not even the reason. I think it's just the fact that, yeah, I wonder if it's because there was there was a reason. It's like it's intentional. I, no, I, I need to skip, and I have a reason, even if it's not a good one. Yeah, I do need like I, it's that um, I, you're focused and you're intentional. I don't know. I just it's that much stronger. I can see that it's stronger when you really do need this or want this, and people just make the call that well, you know, if they're going to be asking, they must really need it. It could be. I mean, it maybe goes back to when we were kids and we'd ask our parents these incessant questions, why, why, why? And they'd finally just go, because, you know, because. 
And it's like, okay, okay. <laughs> so I, I don't know, I don't know why <laughs> it works, would. but, uh, but it, it, it does. And, and again, it's not gonna, it's not the magic bullet. It's not like sure, every time sure, sure. people say, oh, of course, you know, but it's just one other way to increase the likelihood that uh, you're going to get the response you're looking for. Yeah, so that's, sure. that's one of my favorites. That's cool. That's a really good one. Join my podcast because we have fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Doesn't even matter why. Just, just do it. Just do it. Right. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, and we've got this compliance trigger because what else? What else is in our our arrow tool bag of of behavioral hacks? Um. So, uh, so social proof. Social proof is a good one. Um, okay. What social scientists have found, and this is this is as I talk about this, I think a lot of uh, of your listeners are going to say like, oh yeah, right, right. You know, um, the way social proof works is. If we're uncertain of what decision to make, we we look to others, particularly others like ourselves, and we follow their lead. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if if everyone's doing it, we do it. You know, it's if everyone's using the buzzwords, we use the buzzwords. I guess going back to the earlier part of our conversation, but we have right. a tendency to to you know feel like there's a, a certain amount of safety in numbers. If you know, if I'm not really sure what to do, I look around and everyone seems to be doing this. I'm going to do this. We like it's like social norms, or we pick up social cues. And right. the way you know marketers can use that is um, you know testimonials. It's like oh, someone like me, you know, just really endorsed this product, really likes this product, you know, maybe I would too, or number of, of um, installations made, or our most popular package, or, um, uh, you, know, uh, we, you know, number number we just sold today, or the number sold yeah. this year, you know, things like that uh, just make people feel like, okay, this is, this is a good bet. Um, and that those are all good examples of social proof, you know, talking about, um, Testimonials, though, I mean, I think good marketers are familiar with how powerful a testimonial can be. We, we have a tendency to use them. But there are a couple of things that you can do that take a good testimonial and, and turn it into a great testimonial. Yeah. So testimonials are part of social proof. But if you want to have like a really good one, uh, the first thing you want to do is you want to have your testimonial giver be as close to your testimonial receiver as possible. So if you're trying to convince, you know, um, CFOs in the banking industry have a testimonial from a CFO in the banking industry. If you're trying to convince, right. uh, you know, uh, small business owners in New England, have a testimonial from a small business owner in New England. The, the closer they are, the the better received they're going to be. And then right. the other thing you want to do is you want to start where your listener is or your reader is. And that's generally in a place of skepticism. You know, people don't believe us as marketers, you know, it's, it's amazing, right? But they don't believe <laughs> us as marketers, you know, they're, they're thinking like, is it really good as the marketer is, is saying it is, is it, you know, is it worth my time and energy to, to even investigate it? Is it going to be worth the purchase price? Is it going to be worth the effort right. it's going to take me to, to transition? Is it going to be any better than my current solution? I mean, those are the things people are wondering. And so while it's terrific to have a testimonial that says, you know, um, I just bought, you know, an Acme widget and I am so pleased with it. I think it's the best widget out there. You know, you, you look at that and you think that's a really good testimonial, right? But it would be even better if it started with, um, you know, I, I pretty much thought widgets are widgets, you know, they're, they're all the same, no mm. matter where you get one. But then I bought an Acme widget. Oh my God, you know, it's phenomenal. It's the best widget out there. But starting where the the prospect is, which is that place of skepticism, they're, they're probably thinking, you know, could it really be that good? Aren't they all the same? If you can get someone to start there and then you bring them along on that journey, it's a, a much more effective testimonial. Right, right. Because then that person doesn't have to make that mental leap from, why, why did you sign up for this in the first place? You know, why, why did that happen? Because that's where they're at. 
Right. I'm yeah. looking at these two. I don't know if there's a difference. Uh, yeah. And if exactly. you're all, if you're just a super fan of it, then that makes you just you're a fan. You're separate. You're and we're actually not the same anymore. To your point, you know, as close to the receiver as possible. Yeah. I'm. I was like you. I. I wasn't really sure. I didn't know which way I was gonna go. But wow. You know, this. I. I went on a leap, and this happened. I'm so glad I did. Yeah. Yeah. If you can. If you can see yourself in somebody else's story, basically, you know, yeah. whether it's the, you know, I was skeptical. I thought they were all the, you know, they were pretty much going to be all the same, or maybe, maybe someone else starts with, um, you know, I was a little worried about the investment because it's, right. it's not an inexpensive move, but you know, I, we did it and I've only been pleased. We never look back you know, but you know, right. in fact, you can be even more effective if you can start with, you know, what you know is that hesitation on the part of your buyer, whether it's price, whether it's uh, the belief that there's parity, whether it's, um, it's an unknown company, you know, if you can find a testimonial that starts that way, you know, we, uh, you know, frankly, we, you know, we considered, uh, bigger, better known providers. Uh, but we ended up going with, you know, yeah, two bit over here and boy, have we been pleased, you know, but if you can, it's like it, because then the prospect reads that and says, right, that's, that's what I was thinking. You know, I was thinking we should go with somebody <laughs> who is bigger and better established, but gee, these guys went with this provider and they're very happy. So maybe I will be too, you know? Interesting. Yeah. I can see that hundred percent. It makes a lot more compelling story. It, it absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. Social proof. So yeah, so social proof is good. Sure. And social proof just reminds you, you need to have people that are as close to, you know, the person re reading it, as close to your, the, the situation your buyer's in at the time as possible. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's a really good point, Casey, because because um, there are you know different parts of the uh, the funnel or different steps along the sales continuum, right. and so what might be in somebody's mind at one point as a as a potential barrier or as, or as some hesitancy could be very very different at a different point, you know. So it, up front, it might be I've never heard of these people. Further down, it might be, gee, they're kind of pricey, you know, or there could be any number of things in between. So kind of understanding where they are in the journey and what the most relevant uh, barrier to overcome is would be like really smart. And of course, then, then you've got to find the right testimonials because I'm not advocating that you put words in people's mouths, you know, you, you, they have to be what people say, but if you, you know, right. you can comb through your testimonials and circle the right ones. Yeah, right? I know, really. <laughs> okay. I need you to say this following phrase. It's like one of those games at a party, right? <laughs> yeah. I need you to say, they are the best. <laughs> so, although, you know, every once in a while, uh, you know, you run into people who say, like, I'd be happy to give you a testimonial, you know, um, if, if you want to draft something, I'll review it and sign it. And you're like, oh, I love you, <laughs> you know. Um, and those are, you know, customers of yours that are really pleased with the, totally. you know, the, the service and the product. And, um, and you know, and they, they say, look, let me review it. But, uh, you know, let me, I'm happy to give you a testimonial save me some time, craft something for me. I'll review it. I'll edit it and I'll sign it. And that, that's a golden opportunity. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Now don't go crazy. Put all those buzzwords in there. Keep it real. <laughs> keep, yeah. Keep it real. And, and, you know, and take the opportunity to kind of start with one of those hesitancies and bring them along, you know, right, it's, a, right. it's a good opportunity. That's cool. Social proof. Love it. Social proof. Yeah. What else? So what, what else? else is in that secret tool bag of yours? So, um, so there's, there's something interesting known as availability bias. And um, yeah, yeah, I, this was one that, uh, you know, 
social proof is easy to get your head around. You're like, oh yeah, sure. I'm a marketer. Yeah. I use testimonials oh, or I yeah, use yeah. most popular product. And this is kind of like a, you know, an interesting way to, to realize that there's a science behind it, you know, right. availability bias. When I, when I learned about that, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. It hadn't, uh, it hadn't been something that I was intuitively doing, but what social scientists have found is people will judge the likelihood of an event happening based on how readily they can recall an example. So people will judge the likelihood of an event happening based on how readily they can recall an example. So for instance, if you're someone who doesn't fly and mm. someone came along and said, so Casey, is it, you know, how safe is it to fly? You know, you might think, well, hmm, I think about this. Uh, every time I see a, you know, a, a TV news report or a newspaper story about a plane, it seems like it's been involved in an accident. You know, the engine blew up and somebody died. Right. Which just happened, actually. Yeah, um, actually, yeah. Just Southwest just had a, the engine sheared off and, and actually someone died. Someone did plane. die. Yeah. Wow. See, so these are the, you know, so these are the things that we remember because right. that's what the news media reports on. They don't report about the millions and millions of safe landings because it's right. not news, right? right? So if you're someone who doesn't fly and someone says, so is it safe to fly? You start to think about, you know, stories you know about flying, the information that's available to you about flying, and you think, gee, I don't think it's all that safe, you know? That poor person just died the other day, you know? Whereas if, you know, if you're someone who does fly, you have a, a different frame of reference. And so, you know, so what does it have to do with marketing? Well, again, we'll judge the likelihood of an event happening. And in this case, the event would be your prospect's need for your product or service based on how readily they can recall an example. So what you want to do before you ask them to buy is you want to get them to think of a time in their past when having your product or service could have really been helpful. Like if only we had, you know, the, the CRM system back then, oh my God, it would have been so much easier, you know, or get them to even imagine a time in the future when having your, your product or service would really make their lives much easier at work or, or at home, you know, because this works for B2B as well as B2C either. Um, so that's, I think that's what's really interesting. It's, it's first get them to think about how this could fit into their lives or how it could have been beneficial in the past. And then you say, now how about making a purchase, you know? Right. Getting them, because if, if you just lead with, hey, we've got this great widget and you should buy it, you're kind of like free floating, but if you get them to think of a time when having that widget would have been really helpful and then saying, we've got these great widgets, now it's time to buy, you're, you know, you're, you're, you've primed them to want to buy. Right. So to your point, if there has been a situation in the past you've been in, hey, you're a marketer, think of a time when you didn't have marketing automation. When, and, you know, and how crazy was that? I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it was so crazy. Okay, well, yeah, now, now you have the opportunity to solve that in your current situation, you know, so, cause you've thought about how interesting, yeah, you're tying it, but now if they haven't had an experience, you're having them imagine one. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. So, so imagine a time in the future where you could solve this or if in the past, if you had been in a different company with these criteria. I did some work for a, um, a company that sold insurance to dentists. So it was a, you know, professional thing and it was disability insurance and the, the difficulty with selling disability insurance is, Nobody feels they need it when they're That's so true. healthy, you know, yeah. particularly when they're young and healthy. And it's only when they start to not feel young and healthy that they need it. But sometimes by then it's too late to get it. Yeah. You know? well, life insurance. Yeah. yeah exactly. well, same thing with life insurance. Yeah. This, this happened to be disability for dentists. But yes, yeah, same thing yeah. with life insurance. Um, so what we did is we said something like, um, you know, have you ever heard a colleague complain about 
lower back pain, carpal tunnel syndrome, you know, oh, the, wow. the, the dentists often get. And we thought, okay, because maybe they haven't suffered it. And so it's hard when you're feeling good to imagine that you're going to have lower back pain or carpal tunnel or something. But, you, you know, you lead with something like that. You know, have you ever heard a colleague complain? And the next thing you know, you start to think, yeah, you know, at the last, you know, professional association meeting I was at, you know, Dr. Smith from across town wasn't there. Someone said he'd been laid up in bed with back pain for the last week, you know, and, yeah. and so it's like based on that, which is available to you. So maybe it wasn't you, but it still helps you pull that information that's available to you, you know, and you have to, you'd think that was a pretty good bet because if you're in the field, you know that, you know, dentists have a higher incidence of certain kinds of, uh, you know, illnesses and, and disabilities and you know it's you just chances are really good you're going to have heard of or know a colleague who had that problem and yeah. so then you think oh all right well if it happened to her or him it could maybe happen to me so it was it was a smart right. way to make that happen so and to your point that's even more powerful than imagining a, so like you know back to the flight thing i actually flew back from toronto yesterday oh, wow. and it was around the same time the southwest thing happened so as i'm sitting on the plane i'm like looking at the engine um and i'm thinking huh. stay there stay there stay there you know, right? I, I just I'm like I'm, I'm like considering it <laughs> i'm not wait, I'm not worried i'm not like chain smoking in the bathroom uh, <laughs> something weird like that but i was just i'm considering it and to your point i would have never considered it, but then it recently happened. And so now I'm considering it, even though it's still a, like a snowball chance in hell. And one of the interesting things was, I think they mentioned that particular plane had been around for like eight years and they mentioned it'd been on 40,000 flights. I was trying to do the math and I guess you, you, you do multiple flights in a day to get to the point where in a year, you know, 3000 particular flights and 40,000 flights. And now there's this thing. Um, so it's still, it's, you know, in, in, in and I don't think anyone in the U.S. has died and since, you know, for like 30 years on a flight. So it, it's, it's such a minute thing, but I was considering it yesterday because it had just happened. Yeah. Um, and so and that's not necessarily logical. It's just um, emotional. To your point, subconscious. I was thinking about that. Um, but then to take that, you know, dot, dot, dot to the second example the 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 carpal tunnel and and now i'm not a dentist uh i don't actually know any i don't know if they, uh, they'd probably be fun i don't know maybe they might be cool uh but i do know i have had some coworkers in the past and when you mentioned the story i couldn't even necessarily remember which ones they were but i definitely recall people having carpal tunnel like wrist surgery and getting like, kind of the shivers as they describe Ugh. how they're like fixing their tendons and stuff i remember that and so when you describe that it's even more closer to home because it's not some airline somewhere where i wasn't flying to i, I don't fly southwest uh, but it was actually closer to home it, it was a coworker i had in my company at another at another job i had you know and so it was like much closer to home like i could feel that being much more relevant much more powerful so, yeah, yeah. So whether it's, you know, of, you know, information that's available to you based on your own personal experience or whether it's information that's available to you based on a personal connection you have, you know, I, I think that those are two ways actually to use it. So if you, you know, if, you know, going back to the marketing automation thing, if, you know, if you didn't want to say, uh, you know, don't you wish you had it, you know, maybe it's like, maybe you've heard some of your colleagues complain, if only our system did this, or if only we had a system that did did that did this and it's like oh yeah you know they they have been um which is also an interesting way to get at the decision maker when the decision maker isn't the end user you know so you're trying to convince them to to purchase something that they wouldn't necessarily be using so it's like have you ever heard your employees 
ask oh, for, complain yeah. about, you know, um, you know, wish that uh, things could be different, you know, try to figure out workarounds, you know, what whatever it is that would right. then help you tee up your product or service. It just, it puts them in a more receptive buying mood. Because it's a really good relevant. point. It's not always, it's not the person buying isn't always the, the end user feeling the pain. And so tying that, tying that together can be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, so that's availability bias. It even sounds scientific. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it though? And that was, like I said, that was one of the ones that I was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. I don't necessarily think that we've been necessarily using this, uh, or at least that I had been until I, I discovered the principle. And then I was like, Oh yeah, totally going to use this, you know? Totally. Um, and, it, and it worked very well. The, the particular instance with the, the dentist did, oh, did yep. very well. Yeah. That worked out well. They ma- imagine. So I could see that being the case. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so another, you ready for another? Yeah, 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 let's do uh, something it. Something else, yeah. Um, so, we did reason why, we did scarcity, we did availability bias. Did we do uh, scarcity? Sorry, no, I'm sorry, we did social proof. We didn't do scarcity. Why don't yeah, we talk about scarcity? Yeah. Let's talk about so, it. So, scarcity is interesting. Um, what social scientists have found is people are kind of funny in, in that we want what we can't have. You know, we <laughs> want what we can't have. So, if something is readily available, yeah. We may or may not be interested. If we're interested, we take advantage of it. If we're not, we don't. And it's kind of the way it is. But right. you just let people know that that something is only going to be available to certain people or it's only going to be available for a certain amount of time. And that can change everything. It's almost like a, a switch flips in us and, and it makes us want that thing and, and want it badly. And, and it makes us want that thing that maybe in the past we were kind of neutral about, you know. Um, but it's like, wait a minute, if if he can get it and I can't, uh, 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 I want to make sure I get it too, you know, or right. if there's only a certain number of them available, I want to make sure I get mine. It, you know, it, it just, it just creates this, um, this need in us to have something because we actually place more value on things that are scarce. So, right. and there are kind of like two halves of it. There's, um, exclusivity only available to a, a finite number of people, certain group of people, a select group of people. And then the other side of it is, um, urgency, you know, it's only available in limited quantities or for a certain amount of time. And using either one of those can be a really good motivator to, you know, to get somebody kind of off the fence and and get them to make the decision. Because if they're saying, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll get around to it or, oh yeah, maybe, I don't know. Let let me think about it. You know, suddenly when they find out that they might lose their opportunity, that really prompts them to, to act. So using either of those can work. In fact, the Email Institute found if you use urgency in your subject lines, you can expect a 22% lift in your opening rates, which is kind of cool. But uh, there are other ways to use it, obviously. I mean, um, countdown clocks on a landing page, on a website, in an email, right. those work because you're literally watching the, the opportunity, you know, the seconds roll by and your opportunity is slipping away. Uh, so, so those work. I think, I think World Data found you can get a 17% lift in your click-through rates if you have a uh, countdown clock on your on your email. Um, and World Data also found if you have an email-only offer, you can expect a 14% increase in your opening rates, which is kind of cool. So, you know, if, if you're going to make some kind of an offer that's only through email, you want to flag that right away in your subject line because you can expect a lift in your opening rates. And what I say to my clients is even if you have something that will ultimately be available elsewhere, launch it first via email to take advantage of that because there's just something, you know, it's a, it's a scarcity thing. It's only in this channel, so I better pay attention. 
You know, I, I won't be able to find it someplace else. So, so scarcity, urgency, and exclusivity being the, the two halves of it can be a, a pretty powerful motivator. We just really place greater value on, on, um, things that are limited, things that are scarce. You know, we, we essentially want the things that we can't have and we don't want to, um, we don't want to let other people have things that we can't have. You know, we, we right. like that, uh, we like access to things that not everyone else has. We like, um, uh, you know, having privileges that not everybody else has. We, you know, we like to feel special. We like to feel exclusive and, uh, you know, scarcity allows us to, as marketers to leverage those two, uh, those two kind of human needs. Absolutely. I tell you what, the, the game that has me is the, the uh, the delta upgrades it's the the flight statuses and <laughs> flying you got to stick to one airline and last year uh, two years ago i traveled a lot so i got to that super high tier and magical things happen people <laughs> one of the things i could do was i could change my flight at any time i know some airlines have it as like a thing but in delta it's pretty you locked in stone but i i could literally book a cheap flight and then change it to the, the morning flight that morning. I could just call and they're like, Oh yeah, we'll take care of you. No problem. But you know, last year I didn't get as much travel in. So my thing dropped. I think I missed it by a thousand, but I was like, ah, I'll just let it go. I don't, but this year has been reminding me about, <laughs> I, I fell off that bandwagon. I have some of those check boxes are not checked for me this year. And, um, it, especially when you, you know, I know you go to a lot of events, you're traveling a lot, some of those little cutesy little perks add up. And for me, it's just the game of it and the exclusivity and the perks. Say what, uh, I walk by first class sometimes and when you're not in it, I do notice the fact that people are not smiling in first class. But when I get in first class, I smile because I'm like, hey, you know, the, the, <laughs> might as well enjoy and be grateful. Uh, but yeah, those, those little exclusive things and, and being a part of something bigger than you or like it also the urgency the exclusivity to your point and the urgency those things are all very interesting and yeah. timely timely the uh, yeah the airplane example it's funny that you mentioned that uh some of them have you know when you're boarding there's like a different it's like it's like two little pads, you know, yes. you know rows next to each other, yes. but they, you know, one side says, you know, priority or whatever. And the other side is essentially everyone else, you know, and it's literally, right. they're separated by a foot or two, you know, it's, but it, yeah. they, but it just kind of makes you feel like, Oh, I get to go through that one, you know, and it makes everyone else feel, <laughs> I want to be able to go through that yeah. one. It's, it's know, amazing. Uh, Delta does that. They have this little red rope, almost like a VIP rope at a outside a bar or a club or something. So they have this red, you know, divider, and then they have a carpet. They put a carpet down for the for the the VIP the the Sky Miles Delta, you know, VIP section. And when I was younger, not anymore. I, I'm I'm a little calmer now, but I, I about I don't know eight or ten years ago, I was a traveling trainer and so just a young guy but I was traveling like 90% of the time and and back then I just easily shot up to at the time I think it was platinum was the highest and, and delta and so here I was this young kid wearing cargo shorts sitting next to some CEO and um, but I, I used to actually uh, wait and let boarding start and then I just waltz in into my line and and they would stop taking tickets from the people in one line just to, to allow me to go in. It was just, it was silly. But to your point, it was those things that, you know, it, in at a subconscious level or even a conscious level, you just it felt 
fuzzy and, and good. And, and so because of that, I, you know, I made sure all my flights were on that same airline. So there's some things that, you know, not everyone has the same trigger, but if you can, if you can gamify, you know, those feelings and experiences, it works out great. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, not everyone maybe is, as is motivated in the, in the same way, but I think we all like to feel special and recognized and exclusive. That's probably built into all of us, maybe some of us a little bit more than others, but I think it's, it's a basic, you know, human need. And so to, you know, to be made to feel that, you know, you're, you're recognized or you're special, just, it feels good and it, it will motivate you, you know? So for marketers, um, you know, just, you know, I mean, a subject line that said, you know, uh, an offer just for you or an exclusive opportunity or, um, you know, saying uh, that, you know, this is something that's uh, not available to everyone, but, but you know, because of who you are, you know, in your relationship with us, we can make it available to you, you know, that you've got in a little of the uh, reason why as well as the uh, the scarcity there. But these are, these are things that really kind of um, appeal to people. I, I, I got something from on the travel theme now, it was from Expedia. And it said it was my last chance to join Expedia Rewards before the public launch. And I oh, thought, wow. you know, like, okay, so it's my last chance before the public launch. But I, I'm a person, I'm part of the public, so that means I can join when, right. the, when everyone else does. But the, you know, the, the beauty there, the psychological appeal there was I was going to be able to get in now before everybody else, you know. So that gave me bragging rights or that made me feel good. There's a lot of psychological appeal. You know, I, I got in before everyone else did and I can, I can mention that I can flaunt that, or maybe I can just quietly enjoy it, but quietly uh, enjoy it, right? You know, it just feels good. So exclusivity can be, can be a, a really nice thing to, uh, to leverage. And if you have data about your customers, if you're in a, you know, a customer situation as opposed to a, a prospect one, although we have data with prospects too, but we have more with, with customers, there's a good opportunity there to really kind of leverage that notice uh, that notion of exclusivity, because you do know so much about them that you can, you know, you can use that in a, in a very effective way, you know, because you did this or because, you know, you've been with us this long or because of, you know, something that you've told us, you know, it just, uh, you know, we're giving you access to this or we're giving you this exclusive opportunity or this special privilege. And uh, it just, it makes people feel really good. And as a result can just prompt that, uh, that hardwired decision to fall you know, people will say, yes, they'll do what we're asking them to do when we link it to that kind of exclusivity. And then, you know, on on the urgency side, uh, you know, anytime, whether it's email, whether it's direct mail, social, anytime you say it's your last chance or, you know, it's the final week or, um, I think there was even a, a stat I found that said if you use tomorrow in a subject line, it does better than any, any individual weekday. Really? It outpulls. Yeah. I don't know if I can find the the actual stat on that, but it was, it was pretty interesting. Um, find it. But, uh, you know, just this idea of urgency, you're going to run out of time. Um, yeah, if you can put a date in a subject line for B2B, you can get a 41% lift in opens. Um, but I'm trying to find the, the tomorrow one. Uh, interesting though, like the whole, you know, to put a date in it makes sense. But yeah, yeah. It's, you know, just the idea that, you're, you know, you're going to run out of time. There's yeah. a, it's a finite opportunity. And so there's a certain amount of urgency associated with it. So putting right. the date that, you know, the expiration date or the fact that there's a deadline or it's your last chance or your final opportunity or, um, you know, expires tomorrow. Uh, these are all words that just, you know, pique somebody's uh, or attention, I should yeah. say, and, uh, and make them focus. And, you know, so again, 
you don't want to say that this is your last opportunity if you're going to make the opportunity available to them every week for the next 50 weeks, right? right. You want to be responsible <laughs> about this. But if there really is something that's about to close, yeah. uh, even if it's about to close for, you know, for this season or this, you know, this wave or whatever, you right. know, let people know, take advantage of, you know, this is your last opportunity. You've only got the last, you know, you've only got three more days. Uh, the expiration date is, uh, you know, May 1st, whatever, that'll work, you know? And right. then, you know, saying to people, um, we can't guarantee that we'll make this available to you again is kind of interesting that, cause that might make people feel like, oh my gosh, I'd better, you know, I better jump on this. And the marketer isn't saying they'll definitely never make it available, but they're right. saying, look, there's, there's no guarantee. So you might want to take advantage of it now, or, you know, we don't know when we'll be, you know, making this, this offer again, or, you know, when we'll be offering this, you know, uh, I did some work for, um, the international association of privacy professionals and they started a online certification program, but it was pilot program. And so when we, uh, when we offered it to people, we said, we don't know if we'll ever be back in your area again. And it was true. We had no idea, you know, so if you're interested now is the time to do it, you know, and we were being honest about it. We were trying to help people who were, uh, who wanted to take the course to make the decision to take it so that, you know, when they could, so that they didn't get shut out and then we were giving them the information that they needed, but, we were doing it, you know, in this case, by tapping into a little bit of urgency because right. it's a course and we don't know if we can offer it again. We don't know if we're going to come back into your area. Um, you know, we know we're not going to be back in the next year. We can tell you that for sure. Right. So if you're interested, now's the time. And again, you know, you don't want to lie. You don't want to misrepresent the truth. But but if the facts are on your side, there's a, you know, there are times when you should use them and there are ways to use them to make them more effective. Right. Interesting. You know, all these different concepts that they're they're getting my my brain going like it i really have to focus on conversation because as you're talking about you know the exclusivity and also the idea of you've been with us for a certain amount of time so you alone get this i was even thinking about you know our own clients over at cheshire you know we've had a lot of folks we've worked with for a long time perhaps we give something special to the a particular group i mean it doesn't have to be you know gigantic things but just that little extra element of exclusivity you know, for your customer base or your most loyal customers, you know, just giving them something of like, it was like a thank you or put them, put them in a class unto their own, you know, it was really neat. And then the other thing I was thinking about with the scarcity was uh, Google wave. I don't know if you remember that. It was like almost like five, 10 years ago, Google was coming out with this thing called wave and it was going to be the email killer. It was going to, it was going to just end all email and it was a special thing that Google was going to do. And, uh, <laughs> and at the time they were kind of like uh, 10 for 10 in all their inventions. So uh, Google wave, you could only get an invite from someone who already had it and it was in beta. <sighs> and so I remember actually paying some stranger $10 online to get an invite to Google wave while it was still like in a super early mode. And it was kind. Of, it was kind of lame, but uh, but I got a chance to see it, and it, and they had created such a buzz around. You know, it, it's almost like you know Facebook when it first started. I couldn't even get in it because I didn't have a .edu address. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to MySpace now. But it's that it's that exclusivity. Oh no, I'm sorry, I'm not now. But maybe once you do qualify, you can you can be a part of this. You mm-hmm. know, so that's very interesting. Yeah, no, it definitely can motivate you. And and if it were one of those things where it's like, yeah, anybody can have it, you know, hey, hi, we're Google, we're introducing Wave, you know, come sign up. Eh, 
eh, yeah, maybe we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, but it. you know, when they're like, okay, only certain people are getting invited. Suddenly right. you're paying for an invitation, you know, yeah. like you're paying to, you know, to work with them. Whereas if they'd maybe opened it up to everybody, you'd have been like, nah, we'll see, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's just in, and again, it's, it's, the reason some of these things work is because we're not always sitting there with our thinking caps on, making really thoughtful, considered, rational decisions. We're not kind of weighing the pros and cons, doing the cost-benefit analysis. You know, we're not stopping to think, hmm, all right, they told me that, you know, I'm getting this special offer because who, of who I am. I wonder, you know, how many other thousand people got the same, you know. Right. We don't think that way. You know, we were, were you know um, – conserving mental energy we're you know we're competing with a lot of different um distractions and, and inputs sure. and juggling a lot of different things and so we're making these kind of split second decisions and uh you know and that's why you know these things can work so well because we're like yeah okay i want to do that and then it's like wait a minute but we're not stopping to think wait a minute you know right. we're just we're responding based on you know these decision making shortcuts and they do well, work we are predictably irrational, as they say. Yes, yeah, that's that's the title of uh, Dan Ariely's book. He's a yep. behavioral economist, I'm sure you know. Yeah, yep. uh, he's uh, such a smart guy. He, he's doing so many interesting things uh, in the in the field of behavioral economics and behavioral science. It's like what humans? We're not being rational all the time. No, we think we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the funny thing. We do think we are. We, yeah. Like, yeah. Every decision I make is, you know, I mean, I'm I'm college educated. I've got the diploma to prove it. You know, like I I make smart, well considered decisions. Yeah, not so much, Nancy. You know, we were like you did go to McDonald's yesterday, and you're like, Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> well, you know, with with the billions and billions served, that's social proof, right? It's that, like well, all those people are eating yeah. there. How bad can it be? You know? Yeah. <laughs> or that McRib they had. Or have every now and then the scarcity. It's only here in the springtime, as right? As it may be with that barbecue right. sauce, yum. It'll be gone. Or no, it, it, you know, for St. Patrick's Day they have this shamrock shake. It's only yes. there for two weeks or so, you know, during that that season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's like there's probably nothing preventing them from offering it year-round, you know, if they had wanted to. But the fact that it's only available for a certain amount of time probably sees, you know, the sales of those shakes skyrocket. But then there's probably, a, you know, an influx of business, you know, across the board because people are sure. coming in for the Shamrock Shake, you know, and you got to have a burger or fries when you have the shake, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, or you could, you know, spend 20 more cents and not get all three. So, you know, that's be <laughs> – Let's save some money here and get the extra fries, you know? <laughs> right, right. Do the bundle. Well, bundles are great. You know, it's, it's funny. Bundles. Bundles, so yeah. There's a, there's a neuroeconomist named George Lowenstein, and hmm. what he found is there's literally something known as the pain of paying. So what they did is um, the, I think uh, neuroeconomists put people into um, uh, fMRI machines. They study their brains. And what they found was the same part of your brain that's activated when you're in physical pain gets activated when you have to reach into your wallet or your purse, pull out your hard-earned cash and fork it over to someone. Like when you have to spend money, it hurts, right? And it, right. And it activates the same part of your brain that is activated when you're in physical pain. So um, Lowenstein found that when you bundle things, it, it is actually a, you know, kind of a decision-making shortcut. Because if you're going to buy you know, the hamburger and then you're going to buy the French fries and then you're going to buy the milkshake, that's like three different hits of pain. Yes. And it, it's better to just put them all together with one price and it's only a single hit of pain. And even if that price is larger than the three things individually, it's still a mental shortcut that we prepare because it's a, it's a, a single hit of pain. So right. 
we're talking about, you know, fast food, but this can absolutely be used in, in a B2B environment, you know, sure. when you, you bundle your, your um, products and services together or your, your, the different elements of your services into, you know, different packages or bundles. It's, um, it's a nice decision-making shortcut. You can buy this, 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 or this, or the number three, you know, and it has one price. Exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah. And then if you say that the number three happens to be one of our more popular choices, well, then you get a little social proof in there. Yes, and, uh, the most popular, and you get a free popular. apple pie with it. <laughs> Boom, you're done. Yep, you done. got it. Done. <laughs> you're golden, like the golden arches. <laughs> oh, man, absolutely. Um, you know, actually, there was one of these topics you, you've written about that I wanted to, to, to sneak in here. It, the, the idea of the cognitive fluency. Ah, yes, Cognitive fluency. So that's that's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you asked me about that, Casey. Yeah. So, uh, so cognitive fluency is a mouthful of a phrase. Yeah. What it, what it Makes means. Makes you sound smart, though. It does. It does. Yes. Um, but, but what's funny is what it <laughs> means is that people prefer things that are easier to think about and easier to understand. So when social scientists talk about cognitive fluency, what they're really talking about is this idea that we prefer things that are easier to think about not like long phrases like cognitive fluency, but we prefer things that are easier to think about and easier to understand. And that's, you know, I guess that's not rocket science, but it doesn't stop there. Not only do we prefer them, we have a tendency to believe them to be more truthful and more accurate. And we feel more confident in our ability to make a decision about them. And so that's where it really comes into play, I think, for marketers, because in marketing, at the end of the day, we want people to make decisions, right? We want them to take some kind of an action, whether it's trying or buying or buying again or offering up some data or about ourselves or our companies or, or referrals or, right. you know, downloading a, a white paper or attending a, a meeting. There's there's a there's a, an action that we want people to take at, at the end of every ask. And um, if, if we're cognitively fluent in our you know, in our ask and in our communications, people feel more confident in their ability to make a decision. So cognitive fluency kind of manifests itself in two ways. It would be the, the, the words that we choose, the copy in our communications, and then it would be our, our layouts, our artwork, our design. So, we, you know, we want to avoid really long run-on sentences. We want to avoid technical terms that people may not understand. We want to be careful uh, that we don't put off people with jargon because they may not understand it. We want to have enough white space. We want to have, you know, shorter paragraphs uh, so that people don't feel like there's a wall of copy, a wall of type coming at them. Uh, You know, all of these things help with cognitive fluency. So the, the easier it is for someone to think about and understand, you know, the more truthful and accurate they'll believe the information to be. And that reflects well on your brand, you know, and well on, you know, reflects uh, nicely on this in this era of authenticity. And then, you know, the end result is they feel more confident in their ability to make a decision. So pretty interesting stuff. So, yeah, I think the the key part, you know, easy to think, easier to think, easier to understand. But to your point, they perceive it as more truthful. It's that much more true if I can understand it that much yeah. easier. So does that mean the more complicated things, I guess, would then follow, you might maybe question the details or you question the the results even if it's really com- – or if you're having a hard time understanding it, then – Yes, I think if you're – Is this you're, really true? Because if, if this was true, it would be easier to understand and I, I would already understand it. You know, So you it can't possibly be true it. if I can't understand it. You just hit the nail on the head. If it's if it's easy to understand, it's easy for the brain to process. And if it's easy for the brain to process, it just feels right. Feels you know, right. it's easy yeah. to process, it feels right. And as you were saying, if it's hard to understand, if you're you know, you're wrestling with it and trying to understand it, 
you start to wonder, well, oh, can this really be true? Or do I, you know, do I really understand it? Or, you know, and you just, you're, you're not really certain and you definitely back off in terms of making a decision, but you're, you're also maybe just a little bit more likely to question, you know, is it, is this really accurate? Like I, I'm not, I'm not following this. I'm having a hard time understanding it. And so therefore it does raise the question of, is it, is it really true? You know, it's just, it's kind of right. a, you know, if it's easy to process, it just like the halo effect is it was easy to process. It just, it felt right. It must be right. You know, and it's, right. not, it's not that we're necessarily, again, actively thinking through, hmm, that was easy to process. So it felt right. It must be right. Like it's happening on a subconscious level, but it's right. just like that automatic response we have, you know, it was easy for the brain to process it. You know, it, it feels right. It must be right. You know, this was true when I bought marketing automation. Uh, I looked at all the vendors and I didn't, I'd never used it before. So I was sh- the new guy shopping, please help me. And I talked to all of them. I talked to ones that I even had no business talking to because they're so gigantic of solution for my little, little company that I was working at at the time. And all of them were really complicated. Uh, and even the ones that were simple had a really complicated marketing message. And I couldn't even get to the, see the product and it was crazy. But Pardot, when I was chatting to them, first of all, the sales guy, back to our earlier conversation, he was just a good dude. Right, and he also knew what he was talking about, but he was just not pushy, kind of, kind of relaxed. I actually had a chance to work with him later on. Just in, great, just great person. And you're like, oh yeah, I like you, I trust you. But then the second thing was they simple. Their message was simple. It's like you don't marketing automation. Oh yeah, capture, nurture, automate. Now I might add reporting to that list now, but capture, nurture, automate. And I was like, huh. And we talked about capture, talked about nurture, talked about automate. I was like, I get it. This is cool. This makes sense. All the other ones are essentially doing roughly the same thing. Some are easier to use than others, but none of them had come and said to me, capture, nurture, automate. This is going to change your marketing life. You know? And so that simple message, I was like, that, to your point, that must be true. That, that makes perfect sense to me. I, I, I can't possibly see a hole in that. Yeah, no, it's cognitive fluency. It, you know, it's it's funny. You know, you said you, you, it was easy to understand. You, you know, they they weren't you know talking about all this complicated stuff. University of Michigan ran a study, and they found that if you have a hard time reading something, you will believe that what you've just read about is difficult to do. Isn't that interesting? Oh, so what they did is they had, again. they had people read about a recipe, and you know it was the same recipe, but some people read about it in a difficult to read typeface, and others read about it in a nice, clean, easy to read typeface. And then they asked each group of people, "All right, you've just read about the recipe. Uh, the recipe. How long do you think it would take you to prepare the meal?" And the people who read about it in the difficult to read typeface thought that it would take, I think, fifty-nine percent longer time to prepare the meal. Like if if you have a hard time reading it, you assume that what you've just read is going to be hard to do. And that I think has, you know, that's a huge lesson for us as marketers, you know, like don't be, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always at war with uh, knocked out type, you know, it's fine in the occasional uh, few words or phrases, but paragraph upon paragraph of white type on a dark background is hard to read. Uh, Paragraph upon paragraph of italicized type, is hard to read. Some of the, you know, the typefaces. People do there. that? That's crazy. Oh, some people still do. Some <laughs> oh, people no. still do, you know, and it's like, you know, not having enough white space, not having, you know, having the borders yeah. be too wide. These are all things that make it difficult to consume the content. And if it's difficult to consume, you're going to come away with the idea that what you've just read about is difficult to use, to do, uh, you know, you, you just, it's, it's not a message we as marketers want to send. 
You know, it really emphasizes the importance of design and and also so simplicity of design, simplicity of copy, yes. really distilling your thoughts down and, and to the, the common denominator and delivering that and have people believe you and hear you that way. And, uh, you know, I, I've often, when I was at some conferences, one time I made the mistake of having a, a Red Bull before going on stage and, and delivering a, co- a presentation at a conference. And let me just say it was a very exciting presentation for the audience. Very exciting. Um, but, but, um, but I noticed sometimes the smartest people presenting were the, the slowest to talk. Not always. There's a, there's a, there's a curve here, people. But, but a lot of the time, it wasn't so much the let me just tell you 90 things really quick. It was let me tell you this is the thing. And then pause. And you're like, whoa, you let it sink in. It was that simplicity of that message. You didn't have to distill it. You didn't have to listen to me rambling on with Red Bull. <laughs> and uh, it was very clear. And so I, I, I could, and I, to, your, to our point here, we're learning is that that was then more believable. And if you were telling someone something they should be doing with their software, with their marketing in that kind of a presentation, now people think, ah, this is, this is doable. I can do this. Yeah, yeah, you can you get your head around it. it you know, you, you understand it, and and you feel like, okay, yeah, I can I can do this. And and that's, I mean, if you're asking someone to make a buying decision about some kind of a product or service that they're going to have to use, you want them to feel that it's going to be useful, that they're not going to have yeah. a problem with it. I, I remember this was a while ago, but I was working on the the Dell B two B account, and um, I came across this study that. Um, uh, surveyed uh, tech buyers, and what they found was tech buyers, even if they thought that your product was incredible, if they believed it was going to be difficult for them to get buy-in in their company, they would not back you. So you know, here you are talking to them, you've got them convinced. They know it's a great solution, and they, but they're like thinking that comma, it's going to be like rolling a rock uphill, and they're like, we're just not even going to bother. So it's a uh, it's interesting. You just want to make people feel like I'm going to be able to use this. It's not going to be a problem. It's going to be easy. It's it's going to be effective. Straightforward. Absolutely. Yeah. The more truthful, more confident, easier to use. So when presenting something and the challenge is differentiating on ease of use, by the way, that happens a lot with marketing automation and some of them are way harder to use than the others. I could see a simple, simpler message being one of the things that subconsciously is telling people, you can you can do this. You're gonna get this thing done. You're not gonna a year later be still trying to implement this tool. You are right. You're absolutely That's right. right. Yeah. Well, who are you and your magical mystical powers? Where did where did you acquire all these things? I, so, I, I I know you went to school for journalism, but like take us take us into this journey of now behavioral science and marketing and, and where all this came from. Yes, yeah, so I, I I was I studied journalism and I realized. Um, that I was never going to be a really great journalist. I'd be okay, but I looked around at my peers, you know, going into my, my senior year of college, and I was like, some of these people are going to be really, really good. I'm not one of them. I couldn't see myself, you know, thrusting a microphone in someone's face and saying, hey, that's your house burning down. How do you feel? Right. You know, it just, it wasn't in me. So I switched to, you know, to marketing and advertising and um, corporate communications, public relations, anything other than uh, journalism, because I knew I wanted to write, and, um, you know, got into uh, advertising, and maybe about 
a dozen years ago or so, a dozen years ago or so, I um, started to read about social science. And mm. I forget who it was that introduced me to the first book, but it, it, I think it was Robert Cialdini's book, uh, Influence, Science, and Practice. And it was it was just eye-opening. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so right for marketers. And it just sent me down this path. And I started to um, read as much as I could. Then I started to meet behavioral scientist and, and cognitive scientist. And the last agents I was at, we actually fielded some proprietary research w- working with a cognitive scientist. And I joined the Neuromarketing Science and Business Association. And yeah. I've just really kind of dug in. I've had the opportunity to do a little work with um, Dan Ariely. Yep. And uh, just really, uh, I just really took to it. I mean, I've, I've always loved uh, the, you know, the communications business, advertising and marketing. And uh, then when I, when I discovered behavioral science, it, it just kind of takes marketing and puts it on steroids and uh, I've never looked back. I just totally enjoy it. Totally. And I can see it, it applies it too. So it takes it out of the theory and, yes. and, and adds like a practical element. You're not just the, the theoretical physicist. You're like getting into building the reactors. You're, and you're testing things out. You're testing these assumptions and these ideas and experiments. You know, Take the university experiment. And now let's put that in an email. Let's put that in a landing page and see if we can have the same kind of influence. Yeah, I mean, in that case, that's what's so cool about it because you can test it and it's very gratifying because you see the right. results. And, you know, and I'm not saying that everything always works, you know, nothing, you know, you're just never going to bat 100% or whatever. Like I said, I'm not a sports person, but you're never going to get a you know, 100% response. But, um, I don't know. Speak for yourself, Nancy. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, time and time again, I'm seeing the stuff that we're testing for clients yeah. um, beat their controls by double and triple digit lifts or beating their benchmarks. And it's just, it's happening more often than not. It's, it's a fairly consistent thing. And, and we have the opportunity, you know, in this day and age to, to do a lot of testing. And so we can see, we can see what's working and, and, uh, and, and why it's working because we can isolate the variables and uh, applying behavioral science to marketing best practices works it's as simple as that man do you do you even have time for anything else flying across the world speaking different events that you're gonna be at uh, the marketo event coming up right yeah i'm gonna be at marketo at the end of the month and yep. then I'm, I'm gonna come back to boston for the content marketing conference then i mm. go out to vegas for um the financial brand forum and for digital growth unleashed uh, in the fall, I'll be in San Francisco for a Marketing Profs B2B Forum. First time they're going to be out on the West Coast. Cool. Um, I'm going to keynote Digital Growth Unleashed in London, which I'm very excited about. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, so a lot of, lot of good stuff going on. Oh, those are some good. Well, for everyone listening to, we'll we'll write those down, put those in the show notes, so if people want to check those those events out or you know come come see you at one of these, then we'll definitely. Oh yeah, that's great. That. Yeah, they're all they're all terrific conferences uh, with lots of really really good speakers. So uh, so come see me and and uh, get the benefit of all the other speakers as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, well, what are some some of the ways people can connect with you? Uh, you know, Twitter, uh, is that good? What, what yeah, is- yeah, definitely. Find me on Twitter. I'm at uh, nharhut. That's N-H-A-R-H-U-T. Yep. And uh, I, I tweet fairly often, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn, at Nancy Harhut, um, or, or, you know, just shoot me an email, nharhut at me.com. I have a lot of email addresses, but that's the most simple one, nharhut at me.com. All right. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to love to connect with any of your listeners and uh, answer any questions or help them out with any of their challenges. So sure. Absolutely. And the you know, I don't know if you noticed, but the time has just flown here. We've just been just chatting about these amazing strategies and just you know what's great is now we've started that, the application is really where the stories can take off from there. You know, is okay, now we've got some cool tools. Let's go try them out. And, exactly. Um, what kind of amazing experiences can come from that? 
Yep, you're absolutely right. You know, take these, use them, put them in market, test them, see what works for you and, and see how well it works. Uh, you know, there's some really cool stuff. Very really cool, cool techniques, yeah. Now, now we chatted earlier and I, and I can't possibly let you go without chatting a little bit about sometimes, you know, you put the work computer down and I asked you earlier, how, you know, what do you like to do for fun? And you mentioned theater and you mentioned like theater. Broadway shows. And, Me too. So, so do you have any favorites and when was the last show you've seen and that kind of thing? So, um, yes, I, I love theater. Um, next week I have tickets to Mean Girls, so I can't wait to see that. I just got tickets to Mean Girls in New York. Um, before that, let's say, I, I, actually, I, I was going through my playbills. I like, Oh yeah, you, you have can the see them. I don't know, but I've got yeah. some. But yeah, I saw Dear Evan Hansen. I saw uh, Bette Midler and Hello Dolly. I saw War Paint. I saw a Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night. Uh, the Great Comet. I like any wow. chance I get. You know, I'll if I can get to New York for a weekend. Uh, you know, you can you can do matinees and evening shows and jam a bunch in there. So uh, yeah, totally. I'm, a, I'm a Broadway fan. How about yourself? What are some of your favorites? Where yeah, where are you based out of? I'm in Boston, so that's right. You're in Boston, yeah. okay? Because we, we have a show every now and then in Boston, but really, you got to go to New York to, you know, the show. You know, there's thousands of them all over the place. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, that's interesting. You know, for me, I think probably that the top list is uh, Les Mis, Wicked, oh, uh, probably my two favorites. And uh, my wife saw Wicked first, and in New York, you know, original cast, Adina, and all those folks. Uh, she told me about it, and when I was in London, I saw it for the first time in London, and Ugh. we have a debate now because I thought it was even better in London than it was in the U.S. Um, it's something about, uh, I don't know, London, London theater is pretty impressive, especially when it's in a theater that's been around for you know, 400 years or so. Uh, but yeah, those two are my, are my favorites. I actually recently uh, just saw Rent in, in Worcester down the street i had never seen it but for the longest time there's about three or four songs from there and i've always really liked listening to but i've never i haven't seen the movie i hadn't seen the play so as a surprise we went out and saw that and so i had a chance to to see where my songs happen in what order i didn't realize some of them were actually in order I'm like oh look at that I, then that's neat but i didn't know like how the plot fit together i didn't know anything about anything and so it was, it was cool to finally see that and, and people had a good time in that show yeah, yeah. No, I, I love it. There are times the same thing happens to me. I'll be listening to um, uh, uh, Sirius XM. There's an on-Broadway channel there. Oh, and cool. so, you know, you hear the, the songs and you're like, all right, I want to see the show and see how the, you know, how the storyline evolves and where the songs fit in. And yeah, I, I totally love that. A friend of mine actually had gotten tickets to, I don't know if it was Wicked, but something, some, you know, a really big show. And they went out and they, they bought the soundtrack and listened to it ahead of time you know, over and over again so that they, they felt like they were going to be prepared to see the show. And, and, and you know, he said that it, it increased his enjoyment. And I thought, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting approach, you know? Yeah. And there's some sort of social principle that too, having heard it once before, I mean, that's why they even have the overtures, right? It's just to, so the audience has heard that song once before, before they actually play it. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think, I think I had heard Wicked in the car a few times, but never quite understood what was going on. But to the point when I saw it, you know, for real, I'd, I'd heard those melodies, even subconsciously, I'd heard them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a really, familiarity, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, familiarity type concept. And it made a lot of sense. Now, I hear some of these other shows, you need to actually hear the music three or four times to be able to understand it. I don't know if that if that uh, is a crutch or not, but I, I think that, um, yeah, it's some familiarity. And then obviously, you know, hearing the music after the fact reminds you of that experience you had when you were there. 
Yeah, yeah, it just kind of brings back the pleasure all over again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are you, anything scheduled in Boston coming up? Anything? Uh, I'm not really sure what's uh, what's coming up. Uh, I, you know what? I'm I'm waiting for Hamilton to finally get here because it's, you know, <laughs> it's it? been you impossible to. to I, I didn't see it in New York. It's like impossible, but it is it is coming to Boston, hmm. and I want to say it's coming the end of 2018 beginning of 2019 have or maybe you seen that already or i've seen it advertised yeah, yeah so it's oh, no, but I'm saying, have you seen the show itself no no no. i haven't seen the show so it the first time i see it will be in boston if it if it ever gets here or when it finally gets here right. uh, so uh, so that's what i'm looking forward to and anyone i've spoken to who's seen it just raves about it so uh, so that's definitely on my list i hear really expensive tickets yes really that's really pricey what i've heard too city. um and you know actually uh Andrea Bocelli is coming to Boston. Uh, also very expensive tickets, but that has been on my bucket list for a while. So um, oh. I scooped up some tickets to that thing uh, or to, to see him. Cause I was like, you know, it, to your point, it was, it was kind of a scarcity. I was like, this guy, he's old. <laughs> I don't want to be the guy that, you know, he retires next year, you know, <laughs> or he's only traveling in Italy after that. Right. So right. Yeah. Let's, I, I haven't, I don't see him coming around a lot. Like Justin Timberlake or, you know, some of those, Hey, they're going to travel for a while, but you know, some of these other people, you got to make sure you see them. Grab it when you can grab the tickets when you can. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, you know, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming and just, you know, throwing down all your amazing strategies and the social principles. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've, I've totally enjoyed this and, um, you know, I appreciate your, your inviting me onto the show and I hope that, uh, I hope people enjoyed the, uh, the principles and the, and the conversation. I know Absolutely. I certainly did. Absolutely. I'm sure they've got pages of notes. I do. I do. So thanks again. And, and everyone listening, if you learn something, share one of these principles with someone at, you know, at your work, share the podcast, get some people talking about the different concepts and, uh, and definitely tweet at us if you, if you try some of these principles. All right. Well, hey, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.